welcome to episode eight of Lessons and Lattes. Super excited to have a SPED educator with us tonight, Amber Lee, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. First of all, I love the name of your podcast. That's awesome. My name is Amber Lee, and I've been a special education teacher for 13 years. I started off in a non-public school, and if you don't know what a non-public school is, that's where kids go if they've been kicked out of traditional school settings. And if they can't learn in the traditional setting, the state is still required to give a free, appropriate education. And so I started off in that setting. And now I and I loved it. It it was it was really interesting. I learned a ton. And now I work at a very large charter school in Southern California. Yeah. Super excited to have you here tonight. Um, I know not to totally dive this way, but there's been um, some, I guess, rumors maybe that non-public school teachers are maybe not as legit as real teachers. Did you ever encounter any of those stigmas? Of course. I. It doesn't matter which school I've worked at. I've heard about the school or about the teachers that were completely untrue. When I first got to the non-public setting, I was required to do things that I wouldn't do now, now that I've been teaching for a while. I wouldn't do them. I, I had to teach 11th grade every single subject in a contained classroom with 12 kids. And there's just, I wasn't qualified for all, I, like myself, I know that I wasn't qualified for all of that. And I fought at that school, and then they finally separated it to where there were the math teachers and science teachers, history and English, and I had to really fight for that, and the other teachers helped. And all the teachers there, they were extremely professional. I um, respect all of them, and I've kept in contact with a lot of them over the years, and I know where they're working, what they're doing. It's been amazing. That's awesome. I'm I'm really glad to hear that you were able to advocate for change within your site and that um, eventually, I'm sure it was hard at first, but eventually you were able to get a reasonable resolution. So bravo to you. Oh, yeah. No, it's stressful. When you first start teaching and you're like, oh, I'm not ready to take on this fight. I'm still trying to, I, I was having to read physics chapters the night before and figure out how to do, I, I don't remember quadratic equations, you know, I was having to teach myself every single night and then come in and try to motivate. <laughs> or modify or accommodate. Like. But the truth is, like, honestly, the truth is, when I decided that I had to do something, was they were planning the next school year and they wanted me to teach Spanish. And oh no! I like half the population is Spanish speaking, and they're going to know I'm not qualified. I, I was like, I, I can't even fake that. There's no way to read the night before and teach Spanish to Spanish speakers. <laughs> I can only imagine what they would be whispering like, you know, to this side if that actually was an occurrence. So um, I think. Yeah, the school, like, uh, they're, they're like, we're a small school, we're trying to provide aid to achieve requirements, and I applaud all of that, but <laughs> there has to be some limitations. 
accommodations to what special education teachers are required to do. Yeah, the multiple subject credential. I'm not sure I would jump as far as Spanish myself. So, but, you know, I will have to say, you know, being put in different um, positions is really, really hard as a SPED teacher or even as a teacher in general, like when you're worried about your job or, you know, untenured or what have you to stand up and really fight for what is right and or what you believe in. So I really do applaud you for that. Yes, uh, I, I don't, I, I know all of the teachers were much happier and we were much more sane after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, like I couldn't even, physics is, yeah, I would think that um, that would be a little beyond my comfort zone. I know I've been stretched and challenged, but physics is definitely um, out of my comfort boundary. Well, and it was really sad because there were several male students. Well, and as you know, in special education, the majority of your students are male students of color, or at least that's been my experience. Yes. And several of them really liked visits, and that was like their favorite time of the day. And I just really wanted them to have somebody that could really push that spark for them. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. That's kind of how I felt about chemistry. I really fought very hard um, for my kids to get the chemistry lab component to the class um, because, you know, there is chemistry and then there's chemistry with the lab. And I know for me, like it really came alive or even piqued my interest when I could light that Bunsen burner or hold something in the test tube, you know, and see a bubble or whatever. Uh, But Unfortunately, the resistance I was met with, these are SPED kids. And then it's like coming back with, they still deserve every single opportunity that their peers are getting. I know. And so at the school that I'm currently at, administration tried to suggest that I not teach Shakespeare. Ooh, yes. Jumping into English. (laughs) Well, a lot of my kids, you know, go on to college and besides that this is an experience they they understand it's very plot driven and (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of drama in there too (laughs) right exactly and uh, I have to fight that battle every year too and of course I provide scaffolding and support and we get it up on its feet it's not like they're sitting there reading a So speaking of Shakespeare, as we're jumping into English, what is your kind of go-to strategy? I know for myself, I use the graphic novels first, and then we go into acting out on some of the Shakespeare plays. Um, Last year, we did Hamlet, which was a lot of fun, um, especially in my bigger class where we could break it up and chunk it out. What what is your kind of go-to? I know everyone kind of has that, oh, Shakespeare is so foreign. I can't understand it type thing. So, but when you unpack it, it's this amazing like drama-filled story with love triangles and all of this. So what's your go-to? Well, typically we'll do some type of opening activity about the time period. And that'll differ just on whatever I'm studying, you know, like whatever I've been interested in at the time. For example, when we did Othello, 
I don't know if you remember the story of how Desdemona fell in love with him. He would tell all these like magical stories of his childhood, not magical actually, just terrible stories (laughs) of his childhood. All these horrible things that he survived and everything. And um, when I first read that, it just really got me interested into the idea of childhood during the Elizabethan time. And we just totally researched that and what child rearing was like and researching how kids a lot of times weren't parented by their parents and the different types of punishments that they would endure. And that just automatically brought interest into it and and it wasn't planned it's just oh let's look into this instead that that's just one aspect I you know the first year that I taught I probably did one of those already found on the internet Shakespeare quests internet quests or something like that you know Uh, because you have so much to do and you're not really sure but then after that it was just there's always so much to unpack and there's so much that's interesting there that I was able to find things on my own. But actually getting into the plays, I usually find three different video versions of like act one, scene one of whatever it is. So in 11th and 12th grade, I'll do Hamlet and the Merchant of Venice, but I'll find like three different versions and we'll watch the three different versions of Act 1, Scene 1. And then some people, they will focus, just depending, maybe they're going to focus on the acting. Some people are going to focus on lighting. or And then if somebody's going to focus on sound, they might not even watch it. They'll just turn around and listen and take notes. And we talk about it, break it down. And then they've had that visual and then they completely understand it. They have kind of faces and images for the mm-hmm. characters. And kind of like that setting too, right? Like the clothing or even, yeah. And then the only thing that's challenging is the actors are usually so old that are playing, you know. Yes. (laughs) Like Hamlet, the interesting thing is during that time period, he would have been 14 or 15. That's when he went to university when you were 14, 15, or 16 years old. And, you know, if you're watching Mel Gibson play Hamlet, he's (laughs) so far removed from that. And you don't understand all this kind of whining and everything of the existential angst and everything that's going on until you look at, oh, how old actually are these characters? know, Desdemona is probably like 14, 15, just like Juliet. And the actresses are grown women. Yes. So. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's like a little bit of a shift then. And it's, I think that part is a little bit hard to grasp for some of our kids. Well, right. But when we talk about it and then, you know, I'm like, this is, it's you, it's happening to you. And um, then they get it and then they start laughing when they yeah. see like they watch a different scene or whatever but once they've seen that visual and honestly most of the act one scene ones 
are almost, you know, Hamlet, they're on guard and they're seeing a ghost. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and then um, really soon after that, you're, I'm going to give people different scenes, you know, from Act One, mm-hmm. different groups, different scenes. But I give them the option because, especially in special education, not every student is comfortable acting out in front of the class. Right. And I've been experimenting with like with what you're doing right now with podcasting. And so they can do a podcast of the scene, but then they have to plan out music and sound effects that would be appropriate to go with it. And then they have that option. And it's it's really cool because people really do um I always have a good representation of people that want to do the podcasting and then I have a great representation of people that want to act out and before I determined to do that everyone would act it out but there would be kids that you knew were only doing it because they had to right like do I have to do this (laughs) right and the other thing about the podcast I was last year actually in an IEP and parents have a perception of their child that he is shy and never speaks and he is quiet in class except for when there's something that needs to be said and then he says it and he's very funny but he also does the podcasting and his acting on there is just phenomenal and so I played one during the meeting and they were just like so shocked they had no idea that that was him they were like he did that it's like he wasn't even sitting there next to them or something and so it was something I could share with parents and I never thought of that before that meeting that oh I can actually just email these to the parents and yeah I think they'll enjoy it (laughs) seeing something that their kid did that was very um that really enhance their talents is something that I think parents don't get a lot of. I know that sitting in IEPs, I hear so much of, oh, they can't do this. They can't do that. And we forget um, what they can do. And sometimes finding those moments, like with that student and the podcast or, you know, a student in art or a student in whatever, um, and really being able to capture that and showcase it is a really fun and powerful moment as an educator. Exactly. And because of that experience, you know, I was like, okay, back to school is coming up. And this was last year, right before back mm-hmm. to school. I was like, okay, I'll have all the students do work good and talk about the class to, you know, for their parents to explain right. like what they do, what they like, what they wish would be different. Because mm-hmm. I know for most of them, if they don't like something, they're going to tell me and I know. Right. <laughs> if they like something, I also am aware of that. You know, there's not going to be anything shocking to me on these. But I ran into that thing where there's those kids that really just don't want to be on video. Mm-hmm. And they would have, like, their right eyeball. which you have to applaud their creativity like I don't really want to be on video so I am going to capture a part of me that may not be super identifiable but identifiable enough (laughs) yes and and again not not refusing to do it (laughs) you're like I'm being Um, right like I'm going to do it because you asked me to and 
but I'm going to do it in a way that shows you I'm not super enthused about it or like you know. skewer like I'm not sure the right word to say but I always get these phone calls from parents that will be outraged or you know irate so and so call or so and so texted me this morning and they said this is happening in class or this happened like you know an interaction or whatever and I say you know I don't know but I'll look into it kind of thing and then the kid will come by, hey, Miss Kay, like, how's it going? And I'm like, I just got a call from your mom. And, she, and he's like, oh, yeah, I texted her about that. And uh, maybe I embellished a little because I needed an answer about something else. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, you know, part of me is just like, well, thank you for starting off by warning you like that. And then, but then the other part, the English teacher in me comes out and it's like, well, you were very creative in figuring out how to get what you wanted. Uh, creative enough to to add these adjectives or whatever into your um, text that upset your mother but um, you know it's just like it it always astounds me like you ask them to write a paragraph and they moan and groan and complain but then the second they need something they have this beautifully written text uh, full of adjectives and everything else that gets somebody's attention right away so <laughs> irrelevancy right like is super huge and right he's getting something right. that he wants which you know it cracked me I had a similar situation I started at a school in October and it was it was necessary to decrease the numbers and but that meant that a lot of these kids were being ripped out of their class that they accustomed to by that point and I had two students that were just so mad they were so mad that they had to change their schedule and you know what have you and so I said, write about it. Write me a letter that tells me all the reasons you're mad and all the reasons that you should be put back in your English, your other English class, and I will take it under advisement. The student wrote three pages, just sat there and wrote three pages. And, you know, I was kind of afraid to look at it because I was like, oh, it's just going to say it's stupid or whatever. But it was the most well-organized piece of writing that I've seen. 
from him all year. And I was just, it, it always, you know, it, I guess it goes back to those ideas of relevancy, motivation, student voice, student choice, and just, you know, really hammers home that idea. If they feel that it's valuable or are motivated by some other factor, they will definitely put a lot more energy into it sometimes. Right. And so this reminds me, I, I don't think we can ever say that phrase enough. I think if you tell a story, I'm going to say, well, this reminds me. And if I tell you the story, you're going to say, well, but anyway, every year for like the opening activities and everything, I am trying, I always try to plan something revolved around student choice, voice, power, everything that you kind of um, talked about. And last year I was really on the kick. I was like, I've got to make the projects you know, mm-hmm. I, I have to do them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, I'm going to start the year off with the maker project. And the idea was simply that students would kind of look at the classroom space and they had to design a better space or something okay. that would enhance the learning or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I found that a couple of groups, and they were working in groups, and a couple of groups could actually do that but many of the groups could not think in that way. And I had to expand it to, okay, you're going to change a school policy Mm -hmm. and to research other schools that have changed this policy, what have the results been there? And then you need to take our language out of our handbook and rewrite it as it should be written. And that will be your makerspace kind of presentation. And it was actually a lot of fun and everybody really bought into it. And um, I won't repeat it. I always, I I don't repeat things like this year, the students are doing different stations. Mm -hmm. And in one station, I'm asking them to work in groups and create a class syllabus. And then we'll go through all of them so that I can kind of see what their expectations are, what their fears are, Mm -hmm. or what, how they've been indoctrinated into schools because they'll they'll write down i know they will homework should be this and Mm -hmm. i really don't give homework right (laughs) (laughs) if you want me to i can make some but you know (laughs) yeah yeah i definitely i don't do um homework at high school either it's too much of a nightmare (laughs) my husband he teaches fifth grade gen ed and he sent me the LAUSD policy on homework. Mm-hmm. And in high school, each class it goes up by age, but in high school, it's that you could have 30 minutes a night per class. Oh my. And so if you have six classes and everybody gives homework, that's three hours. Right. My question is. How many teachers go home and work for three hours? And I try to avoid that. Like, I have my other job. Right, well, it's like, well, uh, many teachers do. There's not, like, teachers that don't do that. Many teachers do, but they're receiving something completely different out of that. And they're balancing choices of whether they spend time with their family or not. <laughs> right. And and uh, the other thing is at 
lots of teachers that I've worked with as far as general education teachers, many are so amazing and have given more accommodations than any teacher I know. Like gen ed teachers will be more accommodating than even some set teachers. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I have the teachers that always say, well, they never come to my tutoring sessions mm-hmm. that I offer every, you know, and, and I'm thinking, are they supposed to go to tutoring in Spanish, then in Algebra 1, and then in U.S. History, and then in Physics, and then in, you know, like, the right. reality is, these show up every single day and work really hard to get a D you know, and sometimes apps in classes, they really don't want to come later again to still not understand it. And it's really sad sometimes. It is. And I think that some, like, I know a lot of my kids that are after school in sports or working on their cars or doing something with their hands that is like, or, you know, kinesthetically or what have you, that is equally as amazing, equally as valuable. And sometimes I think that as adults, we need to take a step back and think about that as well. Right. Well, and like I said, I do have a pretty large percentage of the population that do go to college mm-hmm. and sometimes they end there and sometimes they move on. And then you have a certain amount of kids I always had each year that are going to join the military and mm-hmm. they tell me and I just have to bite my lips, you know. Yes. <laughs> and then there's certain kids that always I want to do culinary school. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's those. Then you have certain kids that want to be firefighters. Mm-hmm. And I you know, there's there's a little bit at school that can be done to help all of those kids. And then there's the kids that really they want to be a welder. They want to. They they want to build. They want to do in construction. They want. And there's nothing at my school. You know, there is automotive. There's cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it as far as other experiences. And then if the kids fail the class, then they're going to retake that class, and they don't have the free elective to take the one class that they might like. Right, or auto shop gets magically canceled at the last minute or something like that. I know, and I, I, I just remember this white kid, and he graduated this last year, but when he was a ninth grader, all we talked about, he mm-hmm. didn't perform in most of his classes. All he did was play video games since we had Chromebooks, and he never had a computer or internet access at home. Mm-hmm. And that was like, too powerful for him, but he begged to be placed in auto. He didn't get it until his senior year, you know, and that's wow. just so sad to me. And uh, he did, by then, he was he had learned and he was doing work in his classes and everything. But that transition of him working in class might have been faster if, if the school had been able to foster something that he loved. Right. And I think that's something like as our takeaway message that is super important to listen to our kids and really try to foster and grow their interests along with the academic curriculum. I think it's like almost like a marriage, like it needs to go hand in hand. Exactly. And on that note, that's one of the things that I am pushing for at my school this year, and I've, I've sent out emails, and I wrote a, a blog post about it, it and right now I'm just loosely calling it Lunch and Learn, where 
a teacher might offer a kind of fun learning experience at lunchtime and it would be open to all said kids. So even if they weren't in your class, you didn't know them, advertised and then kids could go to that space and have fun, make social connection and eat in a safe place. And I, I'm thinking that I would want to offer probably bullet journaling and uh, calligraphy. Oh, nice. That's definitely like, I love that idea of the lunch and learn and offering some unique experiences. I think that's so important. And I had a teacher, she volunteered to do, she's like, I can do Instagram cooking. You know, so I guess that really beautiful. <laughs> I can't make my stuff taste really good, but it doesn't look that good when I cook. <laughs> and another teacher, she was like, oh, we can do nail decorations. Fun though. Like I would definitely be interested in some of that. <laughs> but yeah, like I definitely think that's important. And again, hats off to you for making sure that your kids get some really valuable and enriching experiences. Thank you. And thank you for being here tonight. Super excited, super fun conversation as well. Yes, thank you so much. My favorite part of Lessons in Lattes is, of course, sharing the latte um, recipe and or experience with you, trying to find some different things to share. And today I have a recipe for a cappuccino cooler. Um, it is a combination of coffee, chocolate ice cream, chocolate syrup and whipped cream, which is, of course, the perfect pick me up drink. So the ingredients are one and a half cups cold coffee one and a half cups cho chocolate ice cream, one quarter cup chocolate syrup, crushed ice and whipped cream. Very, very simple. In a blender, combine the coffee, ice cream and chocolate syrup, blend until smooth, pour over the crushed ice and garnish with as much whipped cream as you would like. And you can always add a little chocolate syrup on top. Enjoy. Enjoy.